Welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. My name is Alora Chestikoff, and I am from Firebird Summit. My partner in this podcast is Lawrence Henderson from Boss LLC. Every week we meet and discuss coaching topics relative to professional development, personal development, business, and entrepreneurship. Join us and see if there's anything else you'd like to add to the conversation. Oh, hello, hello. Welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. My name is Alora Chestikoff, and I am from Firebird Summit. What is up, everybody? I'm Lawrence Henderson from Boss LLC. It's always a pleasure. Glad we're back, Alora. What's been going on? Oh, lots of uh, lots of the same stuff that you try to put a new lens on to figure out if maybe the way you handled it last time might not be the way you want to do it this time. What about you? A, a whole lot. I got some vacation coming, so I'm super, super excited. So I'm running on fumes until the finish line of me stamping that last client appointment before vacay. All righty. Well, in that case, let's let's tackle it. So you have a topic for us today. So hit me with I it. I do. I do. I do. So the idea of being a disruptive leader in the positive sense, I, I've been working with clients um, and again, leaders, CEOs, C-suite leaders, uh, frontline leaders in this idea of they're needing to be a disruption within the organizations to kind of shake them up from getting out of that old, we, we've been doing the same thing for so long and not getting the results we wanted. So nobody is choosing to be the disruptor, but that's exactly what needs to happen. And so uh, I, I've been pushing them and challenging them. And so I was like, you know what? I think the biggest disruptor I know, I would just be a good conversation to have. Right, so, so I thought about you. <laughs> So I love this topic because I think the thing that is always interesting to me about the question of, of disruptive leadership is that um, more often than not, I think it happens by accident, right? It doesn't, it, you can talk to people and they can, you know, intellectually be on board, but it really sort of forces people out of their safe zone. And so the only time I think I ever really like truly genuinely see it is when circumstances beyond someone's control have just kind of collided into like Haley's Comet and you're left with no choice but to be disruptive, right? I think the pandemic, great example of stuff that really forced enormous disruption. It pushed leaders out of their comfort zone. They had to make a lot of changes. Um, the That's one example. And obviously that's one that we all kind of felt at different, in different ways and to different degrees. But, you know, I think in a smaller setting, right, I think you usually see it when there's a new leader in an organization who comes in and shakes things up and maybe doesn't even mean to shake things up, but just the, the new alchemy of that personality into that into that culture and that mix will kind of just rattle cages and, and reorient things and stuff like that. Um, I think the other thing that, that I see a lot in my world is acquisition, is, is the whole A&M, right? You get, you get you get acquisitions and mergers, um, you know, you get, you get sales, you get all of those kinds of things coming up. And that, again, what forces reorgs, it forces leaders into positions they might not have chosen. Um, and, and I, interestingly, I had a conversation earlier this week 
another example, right? Company is growing, CEO decides, hey, I know I need help. I can't do those for myself. So I'm gonna hire somebody. Great. I think you're a perfect choice to come. You know, I want you to own this part of the business. And then the moment I hand you that part of the business, I can't stay out of it and I start backseat driving and I won't let you do what I hired you to do, right? So I like I like the idea of making the idea of disruptive leadership less terrifying, but I think at the end of the day, it's it's almost always the case of just being thrown into the deep end of the pool. Yeah, and it's and I, and I love I love you know kind of that description because again it's it's unpacking it as and simplifying it of of really being a disruptive leader is you know, someone is who's looking for better solutions, right, to enhance the process, right, and not just somebody who's changing for the sake of change, but it's how can I incorporate, and like you said, how can I use what that leader over there has in this organization because, I, because I'm noticing a gap based on what I see, but that leader who signs themselves up for that, right, and is ensuring that their teams, along with everybody else, they keep them hungry, right? And there's one thing, and I recall like on one of my deployments, one of the biggest things when my, my deployment by Iraq early on, I was like, look, the biggest killer or the biggest threat to our safety is somebody getting complacent in their job, in their role, in their task. And it was like, even though the things we do on a daily basis, they may not change, the mission, vision, value prop is still the same, but how we go about achieving the results, those are the things that we can update, we can upgrade, we can nuance, we can change, we can shift. And I believe that disruptive leader is that person who's not afraid to add in some nuance or, you know what, I feel like I've reached a peak. I have an Laura on my team who I know is extremely creative. Let me pull her into the process. And that in and of itself of being collaborative and innovative can be sometimes seen as a disruptive. I mean, you you let all your people make decisions. Yeah, because at some point, I'm not going to be here. So, so why would I develop? <laughs> well, you know, and actually, I think that's a good point, too, right? I think if, if, you're in, if you're in a leadership role, and especially, you know, it's very easy to feel like you're on a hamster wheel after a while, right? If you've, if you've been in a role for a long time, or the, or the company's kind of, you know, Cruising along isn't necessarily, you know, anything, you know, radical from a market perspective is forcing you into change. Sometimes the easiest way to kind of just sort of reframe it is to delegate, you know, some area of decision-making to somebody new. And I think this is one of those things where, you know, you've got this, it's, it's kind of like the, the way Brene Brown talks about trust, right? You have to, it's incremental. You can't just say, Oh, hey, great. I'm going to hand you my checking account. You can go do whatever you want. And I trust you not to, you know, empty it on me. You have to like, you have to sort of gradually work your way up to it. And, and as you see people who are demonstrating that they are responding well to more responsibility or more authority, um, that is an opportunity to test it a little further and give them a little more and see how, how they handle that. And then to see how the other people are responding to them handling that. And I think sometimes that's the piece where, where it's probably the easiest way to transition into sort of opening the door for some disruption um, that that isn't, you know, wholesale Niagara Falls gushing down on you kind of change. 
So, so as you've been working with, with the clients, what are the, what are the obstacles that, that you're hearing them say to why they wouldn't or why they think they can't or, or why, you know, why it hasn't occurred to them? You ready for it? Candor. Truth telling. And even when, and again, it's this, this unbridled or even unexplored fear that giving the whole truth is, is again, this negative message, this negative, well, ah, they're not ready for it. What gives you the impression that they're not, right? Is it the interaction? Is it, you know, somebody got their hand smacked for telling the truth and now everybody's afraid to do it. And so the reason why, again, this disruption is becoming up is just like, but is it right though? Is that speaking up? Is that truth? Is that candor? Is that the actual right decision to make? And, and what you're saying now is, I don't know how to actually communicate that message so that it can be palatable or even consumed so that it can we can turn it into usable data points. And I think that is the really what I've been figuring out in engaging these leaders is that they just want to drop, they just want to drop the truth bomb as a grenade in the middle of the room. And they don't believe people have the fortitude to take it the way that they want to deliver it. And I'm just like, we need to get better at effective communication. And what is that? What would it sound like, right? What is the truth? And let's unpack it, right? And it's it's almost reverse engineering, right? The platinum rule and the golden rule. Like you want to be a disruptor, but hey, can you give it to people in a way that, again, they need to consume it and use it because that's ultimately how we move people forward. Like we don't want to turn people off. And so that's been the biggest thing that's been really hitting them between the eyes. I think that it's interesting that you say this candor, because I think that the challenge that I always find is that when, when uh, someone's got a burning need to say something they're, they're afraid other people aren't going to take, it's quite often because what they really want is to unload their own shit. It's not to get someone to understand. It's not to make someone, you know, uh, look at something from a different perspective. It's, you know, I am having an emotional reaction and I, I feel the need to offload it onto you. And so because of that, I'm going to hit you between the eyes with something. I know you're probably not going to like it because well, who the hell does? Like that's, that, like, and instead of, of just starting with, well, I don't think they can take it. It's like, okay, well, let's back up what is the goal in you sharing this truth? Like, what is it you want to get out of it? Are you just trying to make yourself feel better? Because if that's all it is, go to the gym, hit a heavy bag for as long as it takes for you to get it out of your system, and then come back and we can have a productive conversation. But if what you're trying to do is, if I'm trying to get Lawrence to see something from my perspective, or I'm trying to get Lawrence to give up his attachment to his you know, preferred plan and see the value in mine, and that's not a truth bomb to drop on someone like a grenade. That is that's, that's persuasion, that's listening to, their, to what they're saying and what they're not saying. And that's trying to address what you're getting from that person in a way that, that acknowledges what they, what they need. It actually responds to the things that they're concerned about and all kinds of other things. So I always find it really interesting when people say, oh, they can't handle the truth. No, 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 no. Let's back up because I actually think, especially when you're dealing with, you know, grown human beings in the workplace who are used to being responsible for their own, you know, response, their own, you know, actual work, most of them can handle truth. What they are less 
inclined to handle is getting hit upside the head with a baseball bat by someone who's just out to prove that they're in charge. That brings up for me this this uh, very, very sexy word uh, that we've talked about in the past, this, this empathizing, and I say empathizing in the chaos of communication, right? And, and trying to figure out, and I love that you introduced like, hey, is it really you trying to unleash and unload something, right? It's you're seeking to be understood versus seeking to understand and it being that real two-way communication. And so I, th that in and of itself, I truly believe that's the disruptor's this goal is to to empathize and help people help them navigate chaos right it's and again that's what i say not change for the sake of change but how do we move through it and how to not, not only move through it but grow through it and empathy as a part of this process of, of navigating the, the chaos or the uncertainty if you will is is that given that take um that i see you as that person i see you as somebody i'm asking you to potentially do something that may be hard and so I need to find out and I need to locate you so that, again, I can walk alongside you instead of just, you know, voluntarily, like this is the way we're going to do. And again, understand that sometimes decisions need to be made. And so decisiveness, I believe, as, as the disruptor, sometimes if you're in that position of a, that decision making, right, collecting that information, but then ultimately saying, hey, you know what, thank you all for the information, but we're going in this direction based on these sets of data points. I think a lot of that has to happen to me, even in leadership, that happens from time to time where you're just like, you know what, I'm going with my gut. And and again, this is not just some cockamamie thing that I came, that I dreamt up. Um, and even if it is, just like, you know what, we're gonna take a shot at it and, ju and, just, and just go with it. And I, and I think for, for you, what's caused you in your life and your career to from time to time sign up for disruption Oh, I'm actually a junkie, so I usually I usually look for that. In fact, if I don't, if I when I don't don't have a situation that has a lot of that, I usually get bored and start like making my own fires just for the hell of it. So um, yeah, it's actually it's actually, but it's interesting because I um, you don't normally, in my experience, fully appreciate the all of the dimensions on which it will occur. Right. So I think. Again, the example from my conversation earlier this week, you know, it was it was it tied back to a lot of my experience where, you know, especially in a in a privately held company, you are in a leadership position, you have maybe a title and sort of an official area of responsibility, but you don't own the company. You're leading, you know, whether it's people or projects or initiatives or or regions or whatever it is, but you don't own the company. And so, you know, the employees can look at you as like the person who's making the decisions, but at the end of the day, no matter what it is, you still have owners for the company board, you know, what, whatever that, that, that ultimate buck stop tier level is that, you know, can overrule you, whether you want them to or not, they don't have to be graceful about it. They don't have to be nice about it, but it's really their, their call. And so one of the biggest challenges I see, um, I have seen a lot of is, really, again, that company getting to a point where the owner knows they can't do it anymore. And so they do start bringing someone in and say, okay, great, we got to grow this. We need, you know, you have experience growing this. I'm going to turn it over to you and let you do it. I'm going to focus over here. And then, oh, wait, why are you doing it that way? Oh, wait, no, no, what? But no, that, that person, that person's really valuable. We can't let that person go. And there's, there's this constant sort of like 
And again, there's a trust building exercise that has to happen because almost nobody comes into that role, you know, with with the you know the same degree of history in the company that that the owner you know came from. And so it's always the owner will always will always have their perspective on why it is that way, or why it should be that way. And and no, 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 you can't do that because you're gonna upset this client. Or oh no, 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 if you do this, then then this super important rockstar employee is gonna quit. Or oh no, 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 it's really important that way because the product only does this. There are lots of like, you know, very rational sounding reasons that you'll get told, but at the end of the day, you still have to come back to an agreement. And it's that it's that communication piece you're talking about, but it's not a one-time conversation. It's a permanent, ongoing, daily, it's it's like it's like living with another human being on a daily basis and deciding, okay, you know what, today I'll get the garbage out, tomorrow you're gonna go pick up groceries. We're gonna, you know, some, you know, on Saturday somebody's gonna pick up the back, pick up the after the dogs in the backyard, and and the other one's gonna, you know, water the plants, whatever it is. Like it's trying to actually make this whole that's too big or too much for any one person to do all things all the time, and divide it up in a way that is is playing to the individual strengths, but that is not also sort of rubbing someone's nose in the fact that, oh, I'm going this way just because you said you wanted me to go that way. And that's a really hard conversation to continue to have. And it's one that in my experience, almost no owner who brings in someone and says, hey, great, I need you to own this part of the business. I've never in my life seen an owner who is truly ready to step back and say, okay, it's yours. They can get there over time if they're properly motivated and they really understand why it's important and and they have, you know, the right person in that role. They can get there, but not in my entire career have I ever seen someone out of the gate, ready to that point in the business, and then say, "Great, all right, this is yours. I'm here to answer any questions about history or context, or you know, you want to bounce ideas off me. That's great, but this is yours to run, and now you need to run it. And I am not going to backseat drive or look over your shoulder, or you know." Be tempted to rifle through your emails to, to second guess your decision. It's it's too hard because it's too emotional. Like you, by the time you get there, you're very attached to the outcome and you're attached to everything that went into it. And so relinquishing it is hard. But again, the real disruption is bringing in someone else. They're bringing in someone because they have a different perspective. They have different experience. They'll have more time to focus on the thing that you know needs that kind of TLC. And so that that is so disruptive, and it's so disruptive when you have, you know, long-time employees who are like, well, I don't like the way this person's doing it. Like, we've never done it like this before. Like, there's so much there that happens, and because I, that's kind of always the 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 mat, the maturity state of organizations that I try to go into. Like, that's kind of where I constantly live. But it also means you see the same pattern over and over and over and over again. And the truth is, so much of it, and it sounds really right in a way so much of it is around this ego and this feeling of being valued and the terror of feeling displaced and like you no longer have a say and like you are no longer important in a place or in a way that you were very special and you were very important and and really being able to say you know what I can be special in other ways. I don't. I don't need to be special because I run this team or run this organization or because I grew the business from here to here and now I'm asking somebody else to grow up from here to here. Like that. That that doesn't make me less special. It just means that where I'm special is different than where I'm asking this person to be special. And so I think there's a huge attachment to 
you know, what we're good at, how people look at us, how we relate to those around us, um, that letting go and saying, okay, I'm, I'm now willing to let this make a change. I'm willing to let, you know, my management team own things that in the past, I mean, I've worked in companies that were, you know, a couple hundred people where no, nobody in the company other than the, the owner was allowed to let anyone go ever. Like, and, and you can't empower your management team or, and your leaders if they can't fire someone who's, you know, being completely and totally, you know, inappropriate for the role, whether it's a lack of skills or just crappy attitude or anything else. If you're not going to allow them that, that degree of autonomy, then you're not, they, they can't do their job. And so just this sheer act of saying, you know what, it's your department. You're responsible for these outcomes. I expect you to hit this. If you don't, then you and I are having a separate conversation at the end of the year, but this is what's needed. So if you, you tell me that, you know, you're going to fire these two guys because they spent all their time screwing around. Okay. That's, that's on you. Then you fire them, you replace them with whatever you need. But that kind of, that kind of relinquishing of control, I think is really where the resistance to disruption becomes persistent and where someone in a, in a moment of enthusiasm or emotional fortification can say oh yeah I can do it I can do it and then a week later they're you know standing over someone's desk what are you doing what are you doing I, I, I wouldn't do it that way yeah and I, and I think the, the, the biggest point that that you wove all through there was was this idea of the, the constant communication right and the, the constant engagement that needs to take place when you have a disruptor understanding again that it's being done in a positive way but those who are currently in in this in the situation or living through these things can see it as an inconvenience or not necessary to disrupt in the manner in which which you're doing it but you really say that you spoke to accountability and ownership right can i hand off something to someone and say hey you fully own that but it, but it also speaks to that trust, right? That that first layer, and you know, Patrick Mincioni's the five dysfunctions of a team, and, and right. If I'm going to bring somebody in, can I truly, fully trust them to do what I've hired them to do? And I think it, it's it briefs well, right? In the interview process, right? You go make people interview 19 different people uh, in the organization. They've got five different interview panels, um, and then you get them in the job. And say, hey, sit, baby, in the corner. Um, and say, hey, you don't, you don't know enough yet. Okay. So when, when, when someone's am I going to get me up to speed? And I think for a lot of us, as we think about leadership and particularly my coaching clients that I'm engaging with now, trying to help them navigate that internal politics of, or people's lack of trust in, in the relationships that they haven't built and that they're actually not spending any time trying to cultivate and nurture and all those things. And, and really it's becoming these, these, you're seeing the islands of excellence and single points of failure all over the place. And that they've almost built up these reputations as the go-to person. And so now that they're in these, in some cases, these must hire positions because somebody's gotten sick. I mean, think about the, the last several years we've been living through, like life has been happening to people in, in all these crazy ways that you couldn't plan for. And so any level of disruption like is like on 10x at this point. And so 
when you get these people in your organizations, these leaders who you've hired to do a thing, really having a serious conversation of, okay, what, what does frame, right? You really didn't want to admit that you, you like to be spoon fed change um, instead of these massive uh, change projects. Um, and, and so the, going back to that truth and that honesty and how we engage as disruptors within our organizations, there being a level of, okay, what are the rules of engagement here, right? I'm going to disrupt, I'm going to do these things, but I want to take care of you along the way. I want to communicate well along the way. And I think as early and as often that we have these communication touch points that you just described, those are the keys to the city of how we move forward. And, and I would tell you this conversation, this topic was, was birthed out of that evidence, that communication of, of any magnitude was not, it was a aspiration and not anything that was actionable. And so for them, they were like, I can't see it based on who's in charge, based on the things that I'm seeing. I don't see a path towards communication, but it's on one hand, but in another leader group, they're like, hey, let's lock calendars. This is when we're going to go duke it out, fight it out in these conversations about the things that are important to us. And guess what? Nobody better schedule anything over this time that we have together. Right. And that's coming from the senior leader that, hey, y'all better not put anything in its place because this is our time to duke it out, create discomfort so that we can move into some things that we're supposed to be actually engaging in. And so those are the types of leaders and organizations I believe the future is going to be built around are those people who they embrace it, but they say, guess what? We need everybody on board with us to make a true impact here. Well, and I think it's something that's important about someone who's, who's trying to drive those conversations is also being able to say, look, I've been here for a long time. There's a lot about this things that we're trying to put in place that I know is going to ruffle feathers, including mine at times. So like, if you see me reacting in a way that's counterproductive or I'm, I'm you know, not, not, you're not feeling like I'm supporting you the way that, that I say I intend to, then I need you to, I need you to call, you know, point that out to me so that I can actually make sure that I'm doing what I need to be doing in this. I think that's another, um, another really hard piece to um, remember, I think there's a, an inclination, I think, for a lot of people to forget that, you know, leaders are just humans. And most of the time, you know, they're just as amazed to wake up one day and realize they're adults as the rest of us, right? And like, you know, there's a day all of us are like, holy crap, I'm an unsupervised human being. And what the hell did that happen? You know, <laughs> we're the same. <laughs> there's no difference. <laughs> and so, you know, there, I remember like when I look back at my early, in my early career, I remember seeing points where I would be really upset because I felt like someone was making the wrong choice. And I felt like they were doing it out of some kind of hubris or maliciousness or short-sightedness or any other kind of negative judgment I, I imposed on that decision at the time. And, you know, fast forward 20 years later, I look back and I'm, you know, now I'm older than that person was when I, and I'm like, who the hell knows, man, like, you throw a dart against the wall, and you see if it sticks, and then you move on to the next one sometimes, I mean, and I think that's really sometimes hard for us to remember, is that, you know what, to some degree, most of us are just faking it on any given day, including your boss, and so they're trying, 
And you can, I think it's important to acknowledge when they are genuinely trying. I think if they're genuinely, you know, not appearing to make an effort, that's definitely something that's worth noting as well. But I think if they're trying, you always want to remind yourself, we all just put our shoes on when we're done. Man, you, you just described this, uh, this Harvard Business Review article uh, that's titled Leader as Coach. And, and really, the, the, the 21st century leader is somebody who is not only a disruptor, but they just are able to go into a space and say these three magical words, I don't know, I, I need your help. And that in most organizations, when the leadership or the mystique of leadership has said, hey, why don't you know? You're supposed to know. And somebody who comes in and says, I can't know. I can't know it all. I, can't, I just, I, let's figure this thing out. And that in and of itself can cause chaos amongst people who are, have been used to a world of being voluntold 100% of the time, what you're going to do on a daily basis. But I mean, just the, the idea that an art of these articles and this empirical data is coming out to say, no, that's actually that authoritarian thing. That's why it's harmful is to go in and believe that you have all the goods. And that's why you can end up boxing yourself in and becoming a predictable organization. And so for, for you know, kind of this new world leader is saying, hey, can you get your people involved as soon as possible so that you're actually accessing all of the expertise, all of the ideas early enough in the process so that a disruptor doesn't have to come in and kind of flip tables, if you will. But it's now we're working in the nuances and we're working in the, the creases of change and not full full scale uh, change and in, in, in movement. And so I think for us, coaching is going to ramp up, but coaching done well, where it empowers people, it encourages people to take chances, to challenge what's in front of them so that they can get closer to their best self um, sooner rather than later. Um, well, that's, that's at least my hope and my goal. I'm working on the disposition of leaders have so they can show up and just break stuff. Well, I think you also pointed out something really important in that statement too, right? Because I think something that, and, and leaders in every, every poll that's ever been done anywhere in, in workplace studies shows the same thing. Leaders rarely know as much about what's going on in the organization as they think they do. And they are constantly, constantly finding themselves surprised to discover, you know, whether it's just water cooler gossip or whether it's, you know, a, a process that existed that they didn't even know anything about. Like there's there is a separation. The farther away you get from kind of that hands-on individual contributor role, the, the farther removed you are from the reality of what exists at that level, whether it's the social dynamic and again the water cooler gossip or whatever that is. Like and and it's it always kind of cracks me up, partially because I felt I can do it more times than I could count. How many times when people have a moment where they're like, oh my God, what's going on? I had no idea. How did I not know that? And it's always that, how did I not know that? That is, is really impactful because you, if, if you are trying to change the way things are happening at the ground level and you're, you know, a VP or senior director, if you're, you know, you're that far removed, I promise you a lot is happening 
down among your team that you have no idea about at all. And so if you want to be disrupted, you have to involve them. You have to pull them into it. Because if you don't, A, you're gonna you're at risk of setting off a whole layer of, of underground gossip that you will have no ideas going on and will therefore not be able to get in front of. And it, you know, I I can't even count any times I've seen, you know, a leader have a conversation or you know, have a, a staff meeting, give news, and then within, you know, half a day, oh no, this needs to be not, oh no, we're gonna get like, oh no, what if this is gonna happen? Oh no, 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 no. Like and people are trying to read subtext and read between the lines. And and by the time it gets back to the leader, you know, a couple of weeks later, it's morphed into this this enormous mushroom cloud of crap. And they're like, where the hell did that come from? That wasn't anything that I said. And like it's it, but it happens so often. So if you want that change, you you can't assume that you can do it from your position. You have to involve the people who are doing it. Yeah, this this is. Again, this speaks to, you know, all of the, the research and, and there's this statement I've just been mulling around. Can leaders be what the moments need them to be? And instead of being boxed into, you know, this idea of, you know, what this thing should be that, you know, this idea of leader that we kept in these glass cases um, and, and never, you know, break in case of emergency right kind of kind of on the, on the the fire fire extinguisher glass in, in in most buildings and i think now it's just like okay just break don't don't even put them in the case right this act leadership is an active word it's a verb right it's it's something that's supposed to be used as a tool as a resource and and being this disruptors um and the, particularly the way i want to do it and i believe you you've been doing it is hey it, leadership is a contact sport and guess what we're active players in this game and and so if this is not what you're signing up for then uh may, maybe you need to figure out another another line of business uh because I, I think the new world the new world of work is going to need these types of leaders as a standard not as an exception and uh the workforce is calling for it right the numbers the numbers are playing itself out they want leaders who have the ability to engage differently um, and in meaningful ways. So now I think I think this this the tip of the iceberg ar around this conversation. Well, I think it's it's also to some degree generational. I think you know there's been oh, yeah. we're way past the boomer top down hierarchical model, um, you know, and Generation X kind of started off in some of that. And I think I think we're we're in a lot of ways. I think we're probably the generation that's got sort of straddle both as much as we do. You know, we came up with in large, in many cases, a generation of leaders in front of us who, who had a lot of adherence to many of the older models. Um, and and yet now that we're finding ourselves more and more in leadership positions, we've got younger generation under us who's not as inclined to, you know, acquiesce to that kind of very hierarchical structure. And so it's, you know, hopefully, like I, I would agree with you. I think it's it's got to change. I think some of it's been, you know, some industries do more than you know. Tech, I think, is an industry that sort of forced a lot of it because, again, it was all net new. Nobody knew what the hell they were doing. You're all just sort of scrambling to figure out how do you, you know, make enough money to keep the lights on this month, kind of stuff for a long time. Um, but I think, you know, over time, my hope would be that by the time you know we all go off and retire, 
that the generation that comes up behind us is is hopefully going to have a lot less of of the uh, historical baggage because they've largely rejected it pretty much from the beginning. Yeah, facts. I'm 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 a Professor Henderson to some of them now um, at Morehouse College, and so I'm seeing it every single day the way they engage the classroom. And in the, when they come back talking about their internships and the, or the, the big four and all the rest of these jokers that they, they get the opportunity to, to intern with, it's like, ah, I think I'm going to start my own thing. Um, I don't, I don't want to go back there. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's it too, right? I think one of the things that uh, it's funny, I was talking to a friend earlier today about the, uh, how much optimism there was in the early days of the internet about the, all the positive impacts and these days, a lot, most days, I feel like I mostly just see the negative sides of it, but some of that's an occupational hazard. But one of the things that I do think is, is helpful is the sort of the heightened degree of transparency around it, because it's really hard to, you know, convince people to stay in a very, you know, you start here after college and you stay there for four years and then you retire and you move your way up the food chain, blah, blah, blah. Like, it, it, it's really, really hard to sell the idea that that's even appealing now because all the alternatives are way too visible. Like it's, it's, you know, it was one thing when, you know, in the, if you grew up and you were starting out of school in the fifties and you lived in a, you know, a company town someplace where like everybody went, you know, it's funny where I grew up here when I was growing up, it's still very much a Hewlett Packard town. Like it was like, you know, that was, that was the thing. And I remember, you know, in college and coming out of college, Oh, no, no, I want to, you know, my parents have worked for HP their entire careers. I want to, I want to do a job at HP and I'm going to, going to do that until I retire. And I remember really funny because I had a job briefly at HP after, well, it wasn't HP anymore, it was Agilent back then. Um, I had a job there briefly, the only job I got fired from um, because I was so unbelievably bored and I kept thinking to myself, like what why would you do this and and so i think you know now that there's the idea that you got way more options than that that you're probably going to have a few careers that the average white collar professional changes jobs every 18 to 36 months is is normal and that that's you know there's a lot of advantage to doing that especially financial that you wouldn't consider like staying someplace for four years like that is now the anomaly and it's you know, over time, we used to used to have a problem if you had too many jobs on your resume, you went for an interview, they think you were a job hopper. Now, in, especially in, in tech, it's the other way around. If you've been at some place for too long, that's the question you get when you go into an interview. Wow, you stayed there for five years. That's really long. What made you stick around for so long? And then in the back of you know the high, the the interviewer's brain, it's like, hmm, wonder if they're not good with change. Wonder if they don't like you know too much disruption, wonder if they just got too comfortable, you know, like, that's the stuff that you deal with now, and it's a complete reversal from what it used to be. Mm, yeah, and I, and I think, I think that in and of itself, just that little simple description of how things have shifted it is, again, a, a glimpse of people, you got to sign yourself up to, to maybe preempt some change in your life, right, if you got some habits, right, start with yourself personally, right, start from the inside out, Right? And, and again, I, th I know for me, taking on a healthy journey and, and the disruption was, 
you know, my wife, both of us actually going to our doctor's appointments and getting, you know, our numbers back and like, you know what, we can either head keep heading in the direction that we've been heading, or we actually got to add some Ezekiel bread to our diet and get away from the regular bread, right? And, and that, because I like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches don't taste as good on Ezekiel bread. <laughs> so, so, so that was disruption in the Henderson household. It's it's the simple things. <laughs> Actually, I think that's exactly the point, right? Yeah. People, getting this back to sort of my original yeah. point. Yeah. Don't just run out and say, "Hey, well, I'm going to disrupt shit for the sake of disrupting it." Like it's just for fun. Like it's mm-hmm. usually some kind of outside influence, whether it's you know getting getting back your your results from your physical and be like, "Oh crap, I got to do something about that," or whether it's, "Hey, you know what?" My two biggest competitors just merged. And now if I don't do something different, like we're going to get crushed. Whatever it is, like there's there's always stuff. And and again, I think this comes back to a lot of the the sort of transparency about a lot of mm-hmm. what's going on in the world around us too, is you can look at it and like, holy mackerel, like these guys were on a similar trajectory that I've been hoping we would follow and they just crashed and burned. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm seeing some things that, now I need to go back and reconsider about us and how we're working and, and what our plans are. And so I think it's really um, it's really important to keep. Says you know the uh, uh, just because you've always done it that way doesn't mean it's not incredibly stupid, right? You we can get away with stupid stuff for a long time, really. I mean. It can be dumb luck, but we can get we can get by with it for quite a while. Um, and at some point, it starts becoming too expensive. And so that's the question. Are you paying attention enough to the things around you, to the signs of your industry or your employees or whatever, whatever other influences you need to take into account? Are you paying enough attention to know when those expensive habits are starting to get too expensive and they're going to they're going to drown you if you don't make a change? Yeah, now this all all compelling things and then like you said when it becomes personal is when you really lean into the things that matter the most uh in in these conversations so now i definitely appreciate you know always your expertise and and i knew this would be a good one for you um just because you've lived a lifestyle this way and and, uh you know cut your teeth and sharpen the salt uh in, in this area of disruption and made it look good along the way Uh, well, I don't know that I always make it look good, and I certainly hadn't handled it gracefully because it's hard not to get your ego, you know, caught up in it sometimes too. And and nobody's ever a hundred percent good about that, but it happens, and you kind of got to remind yourself that there'll be another one. There's always going to be another one. Well, all right. So I, th- I think I think we've we've uh, got some good content on this one. We did, we did. All righty, my friend. Well, I hope you have a wonderful vacation. And Thank you so much. Yes, enjoy, enjoy. And that's a wrap for this week, guys. Thanks for joining us. All right, I'll see y'all soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me and Lawrence in this week's episode of Grow or Die. Join us next week when we'll take on our next topic. In the meantime, have a fantastic week.